Hey folks, we got a special, special guest today on our show. We got Ryan from Canada. We're talking about gardening and we're talking about cultivating because Ryan is an expert in cultivation. Welcome to the Road by Road Gardening Show, the best dead gum gardening show on the internet where we talk about gardening, a little bit of cooking, and growing your own food. Now sit back and enjoy. Hey folks, I'm Greg. We got Ryan here. Hello. All the way from Canada. Yeah. What part of Canada? Well, Greg, we're about 20 minutes from Niagara Falls in southern Ontario. Hmm. So. Sounds like a good vac vacation trip for me to come visit you. You got to come I can get there. Niagara Falls and then you're 20 minutes away? 20 minutes away. No, I can remember he's you. So you own a company called? Decent Tillage Equipment. Yep. And we build cultivation equipment for anywhere from the small market farm mm -hmm. all the way up to fairly large vineyard equipment. Mm -hmm. And you are Hoss's premier and only dealer in Canada. Yes, we are. And we are proud to represent yep. the Haas brand. Yep. So uh, that's great. So if anybody's out there in Canada and you want any Haas equipment, Ryan, here's your man. And we're going to throw up his website in just a little bit or put it in the comments below. We'll have a description, a link there to Ryan's website so you can find that. Also, you, if people don't know, there's a company out there called Tillmore. T-I-L-M-O-R. And Ryan works with Tillmore a lot, and Tillmore is a fairly young company, but they in the forefront of developing and selling tillage equipment for the small farmer. Yep. And the home gardener as well, I guess. Yeah, they do some equipment for the home gardener, but the, their primary focus would be from the sort of market farm, from the two acre scale up to, um, we work with them with equipment for nurseries up in the 90, 100 acre scale and beyond. Wow. So you develop most of the implements for, and we're going to shoot up Tillmore's website as well. Tillmore makes a walk-behind tractor. Yep, called the Power Ox. Power Ox. They also have just come out with an electric EOX. EOX, yep. EOX, you called it. And this is small equipment. Yeah. And then they also make a small tractor, and forgive me if I say this wrong. We down here, we call it a, a 140 farmall knockoff, or a that type tractor. It's the underbelly. Yep. So in Kentucky and down here too, back in the day, especially in Tennessee and Kentucky, they used a lot of those farmalls, those underbelly tractors for tobacco. Yep. And uh, so Tillmore makes one of those. And uh, do you make the equipment for it? No. So we primarily make equipment that would be on their walk-behind tractors. Okay. And then we kind of skip right over their tool carrier um, tractor into like big vineyard equipment that goes on fairly high horsepower vineyard tractor. So I don't think there's any equipment that we currently manufacture for their Tillmore tractor. But you are the dealer for them. We in are Canada. the Canadian distributor and dealer uh, or for the premier dealer. We are the premier dealer for <laughs> both Tillmore and hostels. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So there again in Canada if you want any Tillmore equipment, he's the man to see there. That's why our shirt uh yeah. throws a little Tillmore on Tillmore. There we well. gotta get Hoss on the I other know, side. I know. This was for a trade show yeah. that wasn't really in Haas's wheelhouse, yeah. but uh <laughs> So your background is market farmer. Well yeah. somewhat. Yeah, my real background was actually in uh vineyard growing and viticulture. I did that from about sixteen to twenty-six years old, worked in that industry. Then my wife and I started a small market farm. Uh, we were doing about four acres of market farm produce, which is a fair bit of work at that scale. Um, and we grew year round, which I know isn't a big feat down here in Georgia, but uh, in southern Ontario, that takes a bit of extra effort. And we did that for 
probably 10 years. And uh, in that kind of is where Tease and Tillage started coming out of. I was building farm equipment for myself. Mm -hmm. I had a background as a machinist and I like building stuff. And other farmers started watching what we were building and wanting it and uh, just kind of grew from there. So did you start with the Planet Junior stuff and kind of evolve from that, or how did that work? Yeah, the first stuff we were building was the old Planet Junior walk-behind tractors from the 50s and 60s. And uh, I was building the cultivator frames for them. Um, I think what really got us into equipment fabrication was our undercutter, our bed lifter. And uh, if I can tell you a quick story about yeah, that one. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the very first one we ever built, I had planned to build it for myself, but I had a buddy who was uh, another farmer, and we used to be part of this regional organization of farmers who had uh, farm apprentices, and we would get together once a month and have a, a lesson for them and kind of a field day, and then there was always a working component. And this was in October, right at the end of the season. And he wanted to buy the undercutter, so I brought it up to him, and uh, he said, well, you know what, we're gonna harvest carrots, and we're gonna use this for our carrot harvesting. Well, all these apprentices had spent all summer hand digging carrots with pitchforks. We went out there and pulled the undercutter, which just goes under the crop of carrots and lifts and loosens the soil. You still got to pull them up by hand, but it's really easy to do. And uh, they were just blown away by how easy it was. And they all went back to their host farms and uh, were just so kind of angry that they spent all summer working so hard when there was this tool and we had a, a boon of sales from that and it just kind of carried on from there and yeah went into the walk behind equipment so the southern term for that is lifter lifter yeah yeah so we'll show a picture of that right here i got to get me one of these in fact i was going to call you before you headed down and tell you to bring me one. Oh man but i've got to get me one of them right there because we like to use it for sweet potatoes yeah and onions yep Onions. We grow a lot of onions, and that would be perfect to go through there to lift them up so you could just go out there and pull them up. I've never thought about carrots, but I can see we'd work wonderful there. Yeah, pretty well any root crop that you're trying to pull into the ground that you know you don't want to damage the tops on or it's too deep and you got to dig it. Um, it'll work for every root crop except potatoes. Um, Irish potatoes. Irish potatoes, yes, okay. or your table potato. Um, because they just, they're not connected enough to the stem and it will loosen the soil. Uh, around it making digging easier but if you try and pull the the top of the plant up on an Irish potato the potatoes are going to stay in the ground whereas mm -hmm. with sweet potatoes carrots parsnips even beets and things like that they'll come up real nice with an undercutter mm -hmm. and this is three point hitch yep well what size tractor do you recommend for it um typically the smallest tractors if they're an older 25 horse tractor because newer ones don't have enough weight to them and almost always it's a weight issue so probably from about 2,500 pounds of tractor weight mm. up uh, mm. might be a, a good metric to hit. Yeah, I've got a 45 horsepower Kubota, which would be perfect. Yeah, that'd be plenty of power for probably four-wheel drive. Yep. Yeah, that'll pull our biggest one we make right yep. now, which is the 48. That is the next thing on my list to get okay. is, is a lifter. Yeah, I wish I'd have thought about calling you, but anyhow, we'll... We'll make that happen. We'll make it happen. Not a problem. So you, you did a lot with vineyards. Vineyards is one of your main things that you that you concentrate on, and that's cultivation in vineyards. This is great vineyards and things like that, yeah. correct? Talk to us about that, because that's not a strong point of mine. Yeah, so um, vineyards typically in the past will have done a lot of herbicide cultivation, right, with you know Roundup and things like that. Um, what we're seeing now is actually there's a lot of Roundup-resistant weeds in vineyards up in Canada. We call it 
Canadian fleabane, I think in California they're calling it horsetail. Lots of different names for the same weed. And uh, once you can't tack it with herbicide, it takes over the vineyards. And so because of that, uh, we actually had some farmers contact us. We were only doing the veg equipment at that time and wondered if we could adapt the veg equipment into the vineyards, just bigger. First we tried using the veggie equipment, um, but it didn't last very long in that scale. And uh, yeah, so from that we started building equipment that works really well for mechanical cultivation, not only in organic vineyards, but actually most of my customers would be conventional growers who use herbicides who are looking for another tool. Wineries, things like that, I'm assuming. Wineries, but a lot of just, um, in Ontario we would have a lot of wineries that would also own vineyards, mm -hmm. but you also have a lot of standalone vineyards that are buying this kind of stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a we're kind of coming back from chemical agriculture into mechanical again after it got wiped out a bit in the 70s. I noticed even on your website you got a vine puller? Or yeah, it's a tool we, we just, uh, I made one a couple years ago and yeah. now we're turning it into a production item. Um, it, it kind of exists for sad reasons. Um, this last winter, so the winter of 2021 20, into 22, was a bad winter in Niagara. Uh, killed a lot of vines because it gets fairly cold there. I uh, got hit minus about minus 20 Celsius, which cough. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's cold. That's cold. It's and cold. Uh, we start to, some of the vines start to die, and so we had a need for a tool that farmers could use to go pull vines out, and then they'll do a replant in there. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a tool that'd be used so commonly for pulling whole vineyards out. We have better tools for that, but it's sort of an pick here and there kind of tool. I'm assuming. California is a big state for you for that type of equipment? Yeah, I think we're just getting into the California market. Um, we were just there in California trying to learn how, uh, it's amazing how different agriculture in general, let alone vineyard growing, is in California. And so we had a good trip yep. down there in, uh, I think, end of October and uh, got to see how they grow. And yeah, it was very eye opening. Makes, uh, made Niagara feel very small. <laughs> yeah, <I bet. laughs> So let's talk about some things as cultivation in the vegetable garden or for the market farmer. Both of them are pretty much the same. It's just difference of scale. Yep. So the wheel hoe, the horse wheel hoe, is a perfect piece of equipment for the small, small garden. And as you guys know, we got oscillating hoes, we got plows, we got all that kind of stuff that's perfect. Now, when you get above that a little bit and you start getting into bigger gardens, some of the other equipment comes comes into play there. Yep. The What's the electric one called again? The EOX. EOX. The EOX uses some of our equipment on the back of it. Yep. But then when you get it from there, you get up to what they call the Power Ox. And the reason I want to talk about the Power Ox, folks, is because I've got one. Ryan brought me one last year, and I use it some in my garden. Uh-oh. There we go. I told you turn yours off, and I left mine on there. <laughs> so uh, I got a Power Ox last year. And I love it. Now, mind you, you need a decent sized garden to use it, but it has got some very unique tools to it and it covers a lot of ground in a hurry as far as mechanical cultivation. Now, I want to talk about something here today that a lot of people may not know out there that is a useful tool, but it has its place. And it doesn't necessarily have its place on the wheel. Let's see if we can get this over here. I'm going to hand you one and I'm going to get me one. Oh, each go. And, folks, this right here is called the finger weeder. Now this is the newest, latest, greatest thing in cultivation. Of course, it's waning just a little bit, but still they are used a lot, especially in organic farming. Yep. 
first time I ever seen them used was on a, it wasn't a Tillmore, it was one of the other tractors. Oh man, tough built. Okay. They had them on a tough built tractor and they run them down through some beets that we had at a show. We had a garden at this show here. I was pretty amazed at the work. Now, what they do, they kind of go up at an angle. We got these things, but they kind of go at an angle like this right here. Yep. And they go in, into that plant, and they actually disrupt the plant, plant a little bit. They actually Absolutely. touch the plant. I'll let you talk about how they work. Yeah, so if you set yours down on the table there, Greg, and I'm going to set mine just about like this. So what a finger weeder does, um, usually you want some kind of steel in front of it, like a, a beet sweep or something to work the soil beside the row because finger weeders don't like to break crust they like to go into a broken crust and uh, you see here on the bottom are these called them the drive spikes or drive claws and they're set in at a smaller diameter than the fingertips and so these are set at an angle that those drive spikes are what actually engage the soil and they cause the fingers because of the difference in diameter to spin at a faster speed than you're moving and those fingers then flick soil through the row or flick weeds. And I say weeds, but really what we're talking about with finger weeders or any in-row cultivation where we're weeding right around the plants is we're talking about white thread stage weeds. And it's the thing I end up getting tired of talking about at the end of, you know, trade shows. Thread size weeds is a whole show within itself here. Yeah. You know, this guy out west called Jason Weston that yep. probably talks about though, has done more education with me talking about weeding with thread size weeds more than anybody. What that means, folks, is it's getting them when they first emerge and they got that white long root on them. That's what we call thread size weeds. Yep. And I often, when I'm teaching, part of my job is not just to develop and sell cultivation equipment, but it's to teach people how to use it. And typically we'll say, if you can see the weeds, it's too late. You always want, if it's bare ground and it's been seven to 10 days, that's about the cycle time in vegetables for this kind of equipment. It's time to get out there and go run them. Or after rain. Or after rain, yeah. So if it's been four days and uh, you know, and you got more rain coming, just go out there and do it. You're gonna disturb that seed bed. Um, and it's really neat. And if you're ever wondering if you should go and do it, you're not sure, just go rake your hands through the soil and you'll see those white thread stage weeds there. And uh, just removing them with things like finger weeders or tine weeders is like the greatest feeling ever. And so when we run these, they run vertically like this. And if you hold that one there sure. for me, Greg. And typically when we set them flat, we want to set them about a finger's width apart like that. So that way they don't actually work here they work up here. And so that when they're, let's see if I can do it on the camera, when they're working, they actually come up and cross each other a little bit. And you gotta play with that a little bit, but that's kind of the, that fingers width apart is your starting point. If you got gentler crops, you gotta be a little further away, but tougher crops, uh, you can push them closer together. Now these are the softest in this size that we would sell. It's called, called the medium. There's a hard one, it's fairly stiff. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit scary running them the first few times because your crop is uh, fairly disrupted. Uh, but things like the finger weeders, they work on that differential in size between the weed crop and the crop you're trying to keep. So my favorite example is carrots. Um, because carrots, I can run these fingers in carrots seven days after germination when they're a little baby frog. But we don't realize about carrots unless you've ever tried the tragrome, which I have, it's interesting is that by the time that cotyledon emerges, the first little green leaves, 
that taproot is already that long. And so you can go in there and rough them up pretty good. Usually with something like finger weeders, we'll do about a 10% overseed just to make sure. And then, uh, but we don't thin after that. We just go in right. there and they do just the right amount of thinning of that to give us a good stand. And this tool here is an invaluable tool to the organic farmer. Yes. Yeah, it, it, whenever we set people up with cultivation tools, um, if they're after just one tool that'll do sort of the most bang for their buck, we always set them up with uh, finger weeders with some kind of in-row toolage, uh, between-row tool uh, in front of that. And uh, But yeah, they are such a handy tool. There's a lot of other neat tools that you can add to your arsenal after that, but this is probably the best starting point once you get up to that mechanical cultivation. So the question more may be, or I've had it posed to me in the past, why don't we put these on wheel hose? So one of the main reasons you don't put them on wheel hose is that uh, you're usually not going fast enough. So the, and wheel hose benefit from that push-pull motion a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit tricky to get the finger weeders to work right on that back stroke. Um, but it's really about speed. Um, and you want to go with these typically, even on a power ox, you are, you're moving, you're doing a fast walk trying to keep up with that. And they work better. Almost all cultivation equipment works better the faster you go. And uh, so that's typically why we're not putting them on, on wheel hose. It's just not quick enough. Yeah, the speed's just not there. So wonderful, wonderful tool. It's just not meant for the wheel hose. These are a company or two out there that's tried it and maybe advertised on that. From our research, it just will not work on a wheel hoe. Yeah, and the nice thing is about a wheel hoe, um, with say the oscillating blade, is you can you can bring that a lot closer to the crop row. I mean, you can get a half inch inch away if you're trying to mm -hmm. be careful with it. Mm -hmm. um, and that, coupled with a little bit of burying of what's left in the center, usually does a fairly good job on the wheel hoe side. So plants such as brassicas, you can get fairly aggressive with this right here, especially get, once yeah. they're well rooted. Yeah. Yeah, and get in there. And yet, like you said, you think to yourself, man, I'm damaging my plant, but you're really not doing much damage there. No, but certainly it's the first time I ever ran them in carrots was, was I was really nervous doing it. <laughs> and uh, I thought, you know, this, because we were farming for income at that time. Yeah. Am I going to lose this? Yeah. And, uh, and no, it was great. Uh, definitely a learning curve, but... Uh, Oh, they're such a handy tool to, to have. It's one of those things for me, and I'd watched plenty of videos on how they work and everything, but for me to see it with my own eyes and stand there and see it and feel it, it was uh, it was unveiling to me just how well they work and how they work. Yeah. It's one of those things you just kind of have to you have to have that experience with, and then you kind of, it's like a light comes on, you get it. Yeah. Finger so. wheels. What's your next favorite implement besides this right here? For uh, like for small for, scale cultivation, small whether it be in the pads or whether you're you're trying to get close to the plant. Yeah, so probably in the next favorite would be something like the A. If we're talking for power rocks, it'd be in the A blade or tender plant hoe combo, which is similar to our sweep. Similar to your sweep, yeah. The A blade, uh, so the, the tender plant hoe is similar to your sweep, where it's a vertical plate and then a one-sided. Mm -hmm. The A blade. Uh, be very similar to your wing sweeps mm -hmm. where it comes down in the center and sweeps out and that all depends on what I'm trying to do with the cultivation equipment so they're sort of equally matched I really like things like sweeps or or the a blades because you get a nice vertical side plates that a dictate if you're too far one way or the other too close to your row um, but you're also not getting any soil movement into the row and so you're not going to bury small seedlings things like that that's a big help 
especially with something like finger weeders that do want to move a bit of soil, if you can give them that sort of shelf that's there. Mm -hmm. um, but tender plant hoes start to get a little trickier or sweeps, uh, especially if you don't want to flip them around when you get too close to the sides of crops that are, are fairly tall, right? right? So with the sweeps, you can flip them in. Um, with wheel hose, I'm going to be honest, my favorite tool is the oscillating hoe. Mm -hmm. uh, I love an eight inch oscillating hoe on a single wheel hoe. I tell every customer, I say the toughest implement we got is an eight inch oscillating hoe. That thing's built. I mean, it's, you can tear it up because metal's going to do one or two things under enough pressure. It's going to be in the break. Yeah. It can be tore up, but them things are tough. So somebody's got questionable soil, clay, rocks, whatever. I always say go with that eight inch oscillating hoe. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it. And uh, even when we were starting to get into this, we always, you know, we were four acre farms still using wheel hose. Cause sometimes you need that, that the finesse of that tool you can't get when you're moving that four miles an hour, mm -hmm. maybe three and a half, something like that. But uh, yeah, I, uh, those kind of the, for that size of thing, that's always where I start is with the tender plant hoe or hay blades coupled with a finger weeder. And then what we often talk about with folks is finding the holes in your system from there and then filling them with other tools. Because everyone's situation and soil type is a little bit different. Yeah, or um, scale. Or scale, yep. And uh, But what I love about cultivation tools is, especially if you're starting small and growing, you're never gone wrong buying the small equipment. So, you know, if you're starting with a half acre or an acre, Starting with a wheel hoe is perfect. You haven't wasted anything because you're still going to use that wheel hoe at eight and ten acres. And uh, same with the power ox. You know, we have folks that start with the power ox. They graduate in the four wheel tractor cultivation. Well, the nice thing about the power ox is you can still give it to someone that is less skilled, doesn't know how to use the big tractor. Sometimes you need to do that one row of something. Sometimes you need both of them at the same time. And uh, so you're never really wasting in cultivation equipment, starting smaller and then graduating up from there. Hmm. So we walked through the garden earlier. Yep. And uh, you see what I'm growing. Yeah. What's going on down here? And you was telling me that you, uh, you what y'all can grow right now is what? So right now, uh, you know, in, we're in Ontario, which is sort of southern Ontario, one of the warmest places in Canada, except maybe parts of BC. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it's not in a cold frame or a hoop house, it's there's nothing growing. Now, can y'all grow kale, spinach, Swiss chard, any of that right now? Yep, yep. And so when we say we're growing it right now, what we actually should be saying is we grew it in the fall and we're keeping it alive right now. <laughs> and so I told you that my wife and I farmed year round. And so what we did is we had a whole series of unheated hoop houses. We call them cold frames. I don't know. Yeah, high tunnels. High tunnels, yeah. that kind of stuff. And uh, so we had, I think, four 20 by 100 of these, like 100 feet long, 20 feet wide. And so we would start succession planting in there in August and September. But pretty well mid-September was the latest we could actually plant something. And it had to be fairly fast growing. Um, sometimes folks will plant carrots then so that they can get a jump on spring. Because they'll kind of stay in stasis almost for a while. And uh, so... We, Right now in December, in our area, you can still get away with just that cold frame. As we got into January, now we'd have to put secondary, like little wire hoops over it with some frost cloth on it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, build these little shelves. It's amazing what a thin layer of frost cloth over that would do because you'd pull that off and it could be minus 15 Celsius outside and cold. 
and it would still be, the ground would almost not be frozen in there. And of course we're picking varietals that can handle that because there is some freezing. Sure. But uh, So carrots, Swiss chard, spinach, that is the things that you would hold over through the winter? Yep, yep. Lettuces we would do. Really? Yep. There are some really good lettuces that would hold almost all winter. Rouge de Hivra, it's a red one. It would stay pretty good. Um, I'm trying to remember everything we did. All kinds of salad greens, uh, salad turnips, that kind of stuff. Uh, we also had really good, um, we did a lot of storage crops, so our potatoes. Uh, carrots, actually, we wouldn't do carrots in hoop houses. We would do those in open field cultivation, and then we would cover them with straw. Mm. And then we would go back and dig them in December. And what that did is that, um, that freeze-thaw cycle, mm -hmm. they would get cold. Uh, puts more sugars into the carrot root, mm -hmm. signals that plant, and uh, man, those are the best carrots oh, I have ever had. I and, tell uh, people, these two crops to me, carrots and English peas, that's what we call them, y'all may call them something else, but those two things have the most distinct, different flavor, homegrown versus buying them in the store. Yep, and, uh, and it's different too, like our summer carrot crop wasn't as good as our winter carrot. There is nothing like a winter carrot crop that's had that freeze thaw. Mm -hmm. um, and we would do the same thing with Brussels sprouts and stuff like that out in the field where we intentionally left them there to do that freeze thaw. So they move away from that kind of bitterness people don't like into these really sweet little uh, spheres of deliciousness. Oh, they're so yeah. good. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah. It's been a few years since we ran the high tunnels, so I'm having trouble remembering everything that was in there. But we would do, uh, we would have some high tunnels with uh, tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers that we would season push as far as we could and we would protect them. And so we would have, you know, our frost, first frost dates in about October, early October, and then everything's dead after that. Well, we would have tomatoes in November. Mm. And uh, not growing real fast anymore, but some Still of that. There. Yeah, and then yeah. we would sort of plant either side of that tomato plant with lettuces and things like this. And then we could pull the tomato out and we'd have kind of dual use for that space. So we still have peppers, yet harvesting peppers here. And this is the middle of December. And also cherry tomatoes. I got cherry tomatoes. Of course, we got lots of greens and things like that. Speaking of frost covers, we're adding a couple of this for next year. We'll have them on the website in a couple of weeks there. We don't use a lot of frost covers, but I definitely see where they could come, you know, for our northern friends. Yep. We do have that occasional cold spell where you want to protect some, especially strawberries. Yep, yeah, done a lot of frost cover on strawberries. And so with frost covers, one of the best things you can do, especially in a climate like yours, or maybe a little more north where you might have, a, you, know, you might not need it, it might not be beneficial, but as you go and you pre-hoop your whole field with those little hoops, mm -hmm. and then you, uh, you get sandbags or something like mm -hmm. that, and you just have everything ready to go. And then, of course, like you know, we're watching the weather all the time, but to not have to go put all the hoops in, you just yeah. go roll the frost cloth out, sandbag it, and it's good. And when you need to roll it back, you can just simply roll it back and leave your wire hoops. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And just leave those until you're ready to pull the crop out. And wow. uh, in Ontario, that usually meant spring because they were kind of stuck in there. But uh, yeah, we did those hoops both out in the field and in the greenhouse space because just putting frost cloth on our hoops out in the field bought us an extra month or so out there. And so then we could put more value into our deep winter product in the hoop house because that's always your super valuable space because you don't have enough of it. And, uh, but frost cloth, if you're going to try and grow anywhere into winter, is invaluable. Oh, absolutely. 
man, that's good stuff. Cultivation. Cultivation. That's what you and I build our business on is yep. moving dirt around. That's right. Now getting them weeds out there. So you noticed something earlier. I'm going to tell everybody about this right here. You see this nice card here? Yeah. This is going in every order in December. Okay. So if somebody places an order with Hoss in December in the U.S., they get this right here. Now, what's inside of this card is what I'm going to show you next. I'm going to get that old trusty knife out. Is a pen. And everybody loves pens and stickers. Don't we? Pens and stickers. I was looking for some for my daughter on the way up down yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> so these pins right here, I want to show everybody how these things work. They have these little rubber things on the back. Well, there it is right there. It says, get dirty and hoss. And on the back side, you have these little rubber things that push in there. So you can put it on your hat. You can put it on your shirt. Put it about anywhere you want to. And Mr. Ryan, that was for you. Oh, for being you on our show much. today. How about that? It's wonderful, wonderful. I'm going to demonstrate how to maybe not put it on. You come all the way from Canada for that. Came all the way to Canada just for this pin. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. I'm going to put it. Yeah. You you were saying it didn't have Haas on this shirt. Well, now you do. No, I'm too close to the edge of the pocket. So traditionally here on Row by Row Show, we do a corny joke every week. And I got one for you. All right. Okay. So why did the Grinch... Why, excuse me, why is the Grinch such a good gardener? Ooh, this, is a, this is a good one right here. Yeah. Sometimes our corny jokes are a little more on the corny side than others, but I feel like this is a winner right here. Why did the Grinch, why is the Grinch such a good gardener? I don't know. Because he has a green thumb. Because he has, oh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Folks, we have the Grinch hid on the set here somewhere. So if you see the Grinch, which is the figurine, and it moves week to week, put the comments below where that green Grinch is, and we'll do a drawing and draw a name out, and we'll send you a special gift for finding that Grinch right here. We kind of choose, kind of do a draw. Put all the names in there and draw them out. So that's the way we do it. Um, one more thing, potatoes. When do y'all plant y'all's Irish potatoes? Uh, probably April to May. Okay. So our friends in Florida... Southern Mississippi, Southern Louisiana plant theirs in January. We plant ours in February. But we have potato orders on our website pre-sale as we speak. So you can go to the website, check out those potatoes, go ahead and get your order in. And when it's time, our first shipment will be in in January, around the middle of January, we will ship that order to you. Now you guys down south are going to get yours first. And then you guys from the north will get yours after that. But you will have them in plenty of time for when you're supposed to plant them. But what it does is guarantee you that you'll have your seed potatoes. You can go ahead and buy them and we'll put yours back to the side and when it's time, we'll ship them to you. Seed potatoes. You plant yours when? Uh, end of April, into the end of May. And gather them? Uh, October. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, we can grow two crops to here. We grow a spring crop. We'll gather ours in April. Okay. But we can plant them. A lot of people, when we did this year, has been planting them in the fall. We can grow a fall crop as well. Yeah. So, I mean, we would harvest new potatoes as soon as they're big enough, little guys. Mm -hmm. um, but we always, when I, we grow a lot of potatoes. It's my favorite crop to grow ever is potatoes. Right. You'll find other podcasts I did where I right. admit that. But um, they're probably just about dead by mid-September, the plants. But then I leave them intentionally for three weeks because once the plant dies, uh, we were doing them for storage potatoes. So they'll the skin will harden a bit more in that kind of three weeks once it's under the soil. Mm -hmm. 
and then uh, we could take them out and be fairly aggressive with them and they would be fine. But yeah, we were always harvesting that. Uh, we tried to just after Canadian Thanksgiving, which and is in early October. storage on them things could go all through the winter. We would have potatoes till June. Wow. Then it starts all over then again. It starts all over again. All right, folks, let's see Christmas. We got the gift certificates online for sale, so if you don't know what to get, you can always buy them gift certificate. We got a lot of great Christmas gifts on our website for less than $99, or if you want to spend a little bit more than that, we have some more of that. We did a show last week where we talked about Christmas gifts. So check all that out, gift certificates. Man, it was great. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me in. Yep. Uh, it was a pleasure, Greg. Yep. So check out Ryan's site, Thiessen Equipment in Canada, and also Tillmore. Get some more information on some of those larger cultivation tools. Or if you're in Canada, Ryan's your man on the whole stuff. Thank you for joining us.